0: Building it upon the solid foundation of the Word of God. Because when we have the faith that God is looking for, it pleases God. It pleases God when you believe Him. It it pleases God when you obey the Word of God. It pleases God when you trust the Lord. In Hebrews 11, verse number 6, we'll put it on the screen. It's a familiar passage of Scripture. It says, without faith... Go ahead and let this be in your heart today. Without faith, it's what? It's impossible to please God. That if you're going to come to God, and that's what you did today. When you came, you didn't just come to church. You were coming to God. I mean, church is just the the tool that we use to be able to facilitate our access point to God at times. And so when we come to God through worship, through devotion, through seeking the Lord, here's what the Scripture says. Then you've got to believe that He is, comma, what? That He's what? That He's God. That he is God. And, look at this, that he is a rewarder. Are you out there? He's a rewarder of those that will diligently seek him. So if you'll get on this journey with me, I believe that God will reward us for being on this journey. I believe, again, let me say this. I believe God gets the glory when the people of God walk in faith. And exercise and are maturing and growing in faith. So I have a starting point for this journey today that we're going to begin to look closer at one of ancient Israel's, tragically, their greatest failures. And this tragedy occurred when they were in the wilderness, and they were a part of the wilderness journey. And I'll try to set the context for you here in just a moment. But here's, remember what it said in Hebrews 11 and 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. And Paul said this, that God, when he was looking back at ancient Israel, he said God was not pleased because of what took place. And so their carcasses fell in the wilderness. And what I define that is, it was the sin of unbelief. And that's the context of Hebrews chapter number 3. If you were to go back and read Hebrews 3 verses 16 through 19, when it spoke about unbelief, then I want you to know that the reference point there is ancient Israel during what's known as the wilderness journey, where there was a particular moment where they stumbled. And that's what we're going to begin to talk about here today for a moment of time. The text is actually found in Numbers 13 and 14, and I've got, Lori's got several verses of scripture we'll put on the screen just kind of sporadically here in a few moments, but if you want your Bible open there, you could kind of be turning there a little bit if you want to glance down at it while I'm kind of creating the context for you, but so let me do so if I can. I think it's very important that we look at this. As a matter of fact, if you read the Word of God, if you read the Word of God closely in 1 Corinthians 10 and also Romans 15, it says the things that were written before time, especially relating to ancient Israel, were written for our learning and our admonition. So that you and I, how many know sometimes I need to know what not to do and what to do? Both. I don't, it's not one without the other. There are sometimes I need to say, wait a minute, this is what happened when the sin of unbelief causes someone to stumble this is the end result, because I don't want that to be my legacy. Joe already said it. We need to start taking responsibility for our own faith, our actions, the course of our actions, the life, the livelihood that we live, and the legacy that we live, that we leave for those that are coming after us. So the context of Numbers chapter number 13 is this. Israel has been delivered from Egypt. So God, by the by his mighty hand has come, and through the power of the Passover lamb, the power of Egypt has been smitten, and the children of Israel have come out. And they can not come out empty-handed. They came out because God spoiled the Egyptians on the night of their deliverance. And the children of Israel that have been held in bondage for at least, uh, they, were, they were in Egypt for 400 years, but they were in bondage probably around 300 years. But now God has brought them forth as his people. And so they have journeyed to the edge of the Red Sea, When God miraculously, by a strong east wind, parted the waters of the Red Sea. And so you may be a part of the progressive uh, uh, Bible readers that say, you know, I don't really believe that. I believe they marched across the Reed Sea and it was only about six inches deep of water. Well, then you believe that Pharaoh's army were swallowed up in six inches of water. But I believe that God breathed upon the sea and through the night and pulled the waters back. And two million men and women crossed over as they saw the waters to a heap on the left hand and the waters to a heap on the right hand because God brought his children through. And then Moses drew the staff back and when he did the waters collapsed upon Pharaoh's army and God delivered his people from Egyptian bondage. And God then took them, listen to this, to the base of Mount Sinai where God had met Moses when Moses was in Midian taking care of his father-in-law's sheep many weeks or months or perhaps even years earlier, and it appeared to him at the burning bush. And there at the base of Mount Sinai, y'all know the story, Moses goes into into the mountain where the glory of God is, and God himself had chosen to come down and sit upon the mountain. And the people heard the audible voice of God lightnings and thunderings the mountain shook a granite mountain could not contain the glory of God And so it was at that moment where they received the law of commandments. They were given instructions. They were learning to worship. They were given access points to God's presence. They they erected a tabernacle. They had the way, the truth, and the life, access points to God, God's holy presence. They brought in the blood of bullocks and goats so that they could worship God through sacrifice. They were learning how to relate to one another. They were learning how to uh, laws that kept them uh, not hedged in in a negative sense. How many know the yellow line and the white line is an important thing? Thing. Laws were helping the children of Israel learn to relate to how to live civil, uh, you know, uh, uh, w- 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 in, in a civil environment to, to one another. And so they were, uh, after a period of time, they drew near to the promised land for possession. And as they drew near to the promised land, Moses, the man of God, this is verse number one, it's on the screen here, it says that Moses, the man of God, said, he said, I want you by the commandment of the Lord, he said, I want you to choose out one man from each tribe. You remember there are 12 tribes of ancient Israel, and I want you to send the men into the land of Canaan for this purpose, verse 2, to send the men to search out the land. So they were, Moses was given strict instruction by God. To choose a leader from each tribe to spy out the land and to search out the land. And I want to go ahead and begin to talk about faith. And I'm going, to kind of, I'm going to kind of correlate these things together. Let me first of all tell you about some things. That when you're dealing with something in life, it is not unbelief for you to know all the facts about a situation you're dealing with. It's not unbelief when you receive a negative report from a, 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 doctor, a doctor's examination. Right? You, don't, you don't have to have hostility to a nurse who brings you a piece of paper that says this is a health issue that you're going to be facing. It's not negative. It's not an a, a unbelief for you to know all the facts. I honestly believe that when they sent the, the men in to search out the land, it was not unbelief or it wasn't ignorance or pretense. It was rather they had an intent to develop a strategy. I have to believe that Moses was going to go, once he gained the right information, he said, we're going to develop a strategy. We're going to plan a route. We're going to develop a timetable. We're going to seek to confirm the word of the Lord. And from verse number 2 all the way through verse approximately verse number 24 is a little bit of the narrative of the journey that these 12 men, now remember this, they were chosen leaders out of every tribe of Israel. And so for 40 days, it says, the 24th verse, they searched the land out. And when they searched the land out, they made their journey back on the other side of the Jordan River where the children of Israel was camped. And when that Moses saw what we call the spies arrive, so then they began to call a collective, if you will, a worship service. So the congregation gathered together because they're going to hear the report of the land. And so this, is, you can read this on your own. We're going to read it here today. I'm going to give you a little bit of its context again as we go forward. But I want you to know that when they got ready to have their first worship service here, what, what, what took place... Uh, for the next few minutes and then into the next day Shaped or defined the people for the next 40 years How many of you know that there can be some very Some very critical moments in your life when if, if you're not careful If you allow the sin of unbelief to dictate your response to the situation You can cripple yourself Or even cripple a family For generations to come it's that important. I want you to hear me today. It's that important that we become people of faith once again, that we challenge ourselves. So let me tell, we, share with you what happened. And so they, they're, they're going to have a worship service. All the congregation, that's what verse number 26 says, they're all gathered together, and they've actually got a visually aided sermon, verse number 26. So in their journey... As they are going through the land, in order to validate that it was a good and a prosperous land, they chose two of those 12 men to carry a stave that they would put one cluster of grapes one cluster of grapes that it took a stave to carry them on. So you can picture that in your mind. There are 12 men that are making the journey back, two of which have got a stave. And they're carrying grapes on there. They're also carrying f- uh, pomegranates and uh, figs. And it's a little bit of an indicator so that they can say, hey, this is what the land. It is a beautiful and a, a, and a productive land. And so they put that down, carried it into the camp. Worship mu- music, maybe playing, carry it in and say, this is the fruit of The land. And then, but notice though what takes place, though. Verse number 28, though there's a word that stands out to me. Nevertheless. That one little word begins the process of sowing unbelief into the hearts and the minds of an entire people group. Nevertheless. Nevertheless. So this is the fruit of the land. This is the grapes. This is the pomegranates. This is the figs. It's a productive land. They even said it's a land of milk and honey. I'm going to tell you what that means here in a moment of time. But nevertheless, here's what we discovered. The people that live there, look at that verse, number 28. The people that live there, they're strong, and they dwell in the land. The cities are walled. Remember, Moses, he didn't know where they were villages or where they were walled cities. And so when they are walled cities, how I many you know it's a much more difficult task to take a walled city than it is a village? And so he said there are walled, vill- walled cities, and look at this, a little bit farther. And then, moreover, listen to this, we saw the children of Anak there. And if you were to read it on down further later into the text, what that means is the children of Anak were giants in the land. They were the descendants, very possibly, of the giants that you read about in Genesis chapter number six men of great renown, very possibly, even demonic figures. that that had great power and prowess uh, and they were a people of legend and when they saw them something changed so drastically in the mind of those men now let me tell you real quickly here's what took place and i kind of wrote it this way that they what they did was those men they evaluated what they saw and then they rationalized as whether or not they could take it or not And then they arrived at a conclusion, and this was the report that they unrolled for the people of ancient Israel to hear. They said, the land is great, the land has fruit, it's productive, but their cities are walled, the giants are great, and we're like grasshoppers in their eyes, and we're like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And as an end result, we recommend as a committee to the people of God that you don't cross the Jordan River and possess the promised land, because if you do, you will surely die In your attempt to gain the promised land. So what they did was they evaluated. They rationalized. And they came to a conclusion. And I want to say this. Those men were not necessarily trying to to harm Israel. Rather in their heart and mind. They were uh, attempting to help them. But let me tell you. Whatever is not of faith. Is sin. And so let me tell you. Faith often stands in stark contrast. To evaluation. Rationale. And uh, arriving at that type of conclusion. And so these were respected leaders. And let me say this, unbelief can be sown even by trusted sources, by people that you're close to. The men had become so overwhelmed by what they saw that it changed their perception. They, they, they saw the giants in the land, and then they began to measure themselves up against the giants, and the giants looked down at them, and they said, man, we look like grasshoppers. We must have looked like grasshoppers to the giant. But then they said, after they thought on it long enough, then they started thinking of themselves as grasshoppers. And let me tell you, that's the power of unbelief. That's the power of how a perception can be changed. You can know that the sin of unbelief is at work in your heart and mind when you begin to belittle yourself. Can I go into this? Will you begin to measure yourself against the perception of others rather than how God sees you? Right? And then let me tell you, here's what that report was called. The report was called by the author of this text, it was called an evil report. An evil report spread like leaven in the hearts and the minds of the people. It spread like leaven. And so and I know there were some other things that were going on there that we're going to pick up in a moment. And I thought to myself for a moment, I I said, I said, I wonder what things have you and I either seen or heard that shaped our belief? What have we seen with our own eyes or what have we heard with our ears? What have we heard that has caused us to think differently about God, to think differently about ourselves or even differently about the faith that we possess? The spies saw and came to a conclusion. The people heard and came to a conclusion. One of unbelief but not of faith. And some of your decisions and the things that you are dealing with oftentimes are results from other people's perception of the situation rather than the faith that God's given you. But let me tell you, that's why it's called a good fight of faith. It is a fight. There is a struggle. It's real. No, we may not fight uh, giants, but we still fight issues in our life. And i tell you what, the sin of unbelief can spread in our hearts and lives as well. It can destroy like a plague. Let me tell you what the end result of this was. Can we kind of tell you that for just a moment? It's the sin of, he said, Pastor Brown, this is really an uplifting sermon on the first Sunday of 2022. It actually is, because I'm not finished. The story's not written, told, completely told just yet. But you've got to be truthful. You've got to tell the whole truth you got to challenge yourself. you got to look yourself in the mirror, and when there's been unbelief present in your heart and life, call it out. Come on, somebody, call it out. Call it what it is. It's sin in the eyes of God. I have the capacity inside of me to believe God. You and I, every one of us, have been dealt the measure of faith. Inside of us is a unique ability to respond to what God said and to be conformable to his will and then to expect that what he said he would do. Let's go a little bit farther. Let me tell you why unbelief is so dangerous. Look at the end result of this. Verse 14, or excuse me, chapter 14, verse 1. So when they heard the report, the congregation lifted up their voice and wept. And they cried and they wept that night. That was sorrow of heart and that was fear sown in the hearts of the people. Don't tell me we're not living in a, in a time period when the media sows fear like a sower out in his field scattering a seed. The enemy will use any tool. Remember, these men were not necessarily attempting to harm Israel. But they were making, again, an evaluation based upon a carnal way of thinking rather than the faith of God. Let's go a little bit farther. The second verse then says, As they begin to cry through the night, the first thing that they needed to do was they needed to call a specially called church service where they would vote out Pastor Moses and Pastor Aaron. Because those were the two that were responsible for leading them out of Egypt through the Red Sea and now on the precipice of the Promised Land. And it was their fault. So they're going to vote out. Because they're murmuring against Moses. It's Moses and Aaron's fault. And then verse number three, look at this. This This may be as critical as anything you hear today. And now their perception of God has changed. Look at verse three. Wherever hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword. They left Egypt believing God was bringing them into the promised land. But now, because of the evil report of the spies, their perception of God has changed. God has fooled them. God has tricked them. God's against them. God's fighting against them. And God has brought them here that they, when they cross over Jordan, they'll be slain by the swords of the Canaanites and the Jebusites and the other ites that live in the promised land. That's their perception of God. I'll tell you what, that's something that we all will struggle with at times. We all, when we have things begin to go against us, we start saying, God, are you fighting against me? We start, our perception of God begins to change. Are you all out there today? And that's what unbelief does in our hearts and lives. And so, once again, they conclude. I'll tell you what, this, grip, this probably gripped my heart. This probably gripped my heart more than anything out of this text. Verse number four. They said one to another, let's make a captain and let's go back to Egypt. I want you to think about that for a moment. I want you to think about what they intended to do in that moment of time. They said, all right, we're going to move Moses and Aaron out of the way. We're going to choose somebody from among us that we're going to place in a a position of prominence and a position of authority. And he's going to rally together. And we're going to gather up all that we've got, all of our assets, everything that we've carried out of Egypt. And we're going to turn around and make a 180. And we're going to go back south. By the way that we came, we're going to somehow come to the edge of the Red Sea. And this time, God's not going to part the waters. Somehow or another, we're going to swim across it. We're going to find the Reed Sea with the six-inch water and wade through. And we're going to go and we're going to walk until we come back to Pharaoh's, wherever Pharaoh's kingdom is in Egypt. And we're going to go through the city. And with our heads held down in shame, and we're going to knock on his door, and we're going to say, Pharaoh, we're the ones that left a few months ago, but here we are, put shackles back on our hand. As long as you allow us to live in Egypt, we would rather live in Egypt than we would to potentially die in the promised land. And I'm telling you, that hurt my heart so bad as I meditated upon it because they concluded it would be better to die as slaves in bondage rather than to fight for freedom in the wilderness. And I want you to know today, I would rather die in hope and die in faith than to live in fear and to live in bondage. And we as the children of God in 2022 in a topsy-turvy, crazy world need to challenge our faith. And say, once my hands were free from bondage, I'm not going back again. Faith is not necessarily, let me say this. It's not necessarily a choice. But you can choose to believe. Or you can choose to believe in unbelief. For this evil report, let me say this. That evil report. When I say, why do you say a choice, Pastor Brown? It's because the people in that moment, they were actually given a choice. Because there were ten spies they gave the visually aided sermon and sowed the sin of unbelief in the hearts and the minds of the people. But I tell you, that's not the whole story. Because there were two other men, two other brothers, that they saw the same thing. But they saw it by the eye of faith, glory to God. And many of you that know your Bible, you already know who I'm talking about. Joshua and Caleb. Let me ask you this. Can any person among us name one of the ten spies? Did you know their names are written in Scripture just like Joshua and Caleb's are? But there's not a single one of their names. And we don't name our children today 3,000 years later after those 10. But we still name our children Joshua and Caleb because of the faith that they displayed in front of all of Israel. And I don't know about you. I want to follow that kind of faith. And the Bible says that these two men saw the same thing, but they arrived at an entirely different conclusion. And here's what God had to say about those two men. It's later, it's not in the text I gave you, Lord, but here's what God said. God said, they had another spirit with them, and they have followed me fully. Joshua and Caleb did not just have another spirit, but they had another word. Thank God for the power of faith and the power of the word of God. Look at chapter 13, verse number 30. We'll put that one on the screen, I think. Chapter 13, verse number 30. And Caleb, in the midst of the sermon, when unbelief is being sown in the hearts and the minds of the people, Caleb said, man, somebody's got to let me talk. I could just see Caleb. He's going beside himself. This brother's saying, man, the giants are there. I don't know. We just can't do it. We're not strong enough. Their armies are bigger. Their cities are walled. There's no way we can do it. And Caleb just, he was about to, he was about to break open. And finally, he just said, it was burning inside of him and he stilled the people. And he said, let us go up at once and possess it for we are well able to, to overcome it, glory to God. We are well able to do it. But unfortunately, the tragic power of unbelief. But the men began to fight against that. The power of unbelief begins to fight against it. So now we turn over to chapter number 14, verses six through nine. And we're gonna kind of follow this for just a moment. And we're gonna see. So the next day has taken place. Remember, they went to bed, they wept, they cried, they attempted to go back to Egypt. And then Joshua, the son of Nun, verse number six, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh which were of them, and I don't know if that's Jephanu or Jephanuah or Phanua. I don't know, but I'll just go with Jephanu. Were of them that searched the land, they rent their clothes. And here's what they said. They spake unto all the company of the children of Israel. And they said this, the land which we passed through to search it, it's an exceeding good land. It's a good land. It's everything that we imagined it would be. Can you imagine when they were slaves in Egypt and they remembered the story about the promised land? And they dreamed of what it would look like. They dreamed of the valleys and the hills and the rivers and the waters. They dreamed of the flora and the fauna. They dreamed of the animals and they dreamed of everything. They dreamed of them walking through their own fields sowing seed. They dreamed of houses and they dreamed of vineyards and wells. They dreamed of celebrating and worshiping God. And the men said, it's everything that we dreamed. And now Joshua and Caleb said, it's exactly what we thought. It's everything and more. In verse number 8, and if the Lord delights in us, let me go ahead and put an answer to that. God did delight in them. They were called the apple of his eye. He said, you didn't choose me. He said, I chose you. God that told Israel previously, he said, I have called you to be a special people unto myself. Well, those of you that are struggling today in your heart and mind, and you're wondering if it's God for you or God against you, I came along to tell you today, the first sermon in 2022, God is for you. He is not against you. God loves you and God will lead you. He's got a path for you. He's got a divine purpose for you. Right? He wants you to be who he has called you to be, that the glory of the Lord might be seen in all the earth through you and through your testimony. Verse number 8, Joshua said, if the Lord delights in us, he's going to bring us into the land. And let me tell you about the promises of God. There are times that you got to fight. And I know some people think, so Pastor, you don't understand, I'm kind of a mild and I'm a meek person. And I understand that. I'm not talking about scratching the eyes out of your neighbor sitting on the seat beside you. I'm talking about there are times in life when you've got to just grit your teeth a little bit. You've got to know that you're wrestling against three things. You're wrestling against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you better know which one you're fighting the time you're fighting them. Because you can bind the devil, but you better mortify the flesh. Right, And you better be able to recognize the world. You better be very diligent and very very open and very vigilant to the things that you're fighting. But let me just go ahead and tell you, to possess the promises of God, you've got to be more than passive. There are some times that you've got to be willing to go through some battles, some struggles, some challenges. There's got to be some times that you're going to wrestle all night. But I want you to know that if you have faith in your heart, God is true to his word. He is not a man that he should lie. If he promised it to you, then I'm going to tell you, you can obtain it if God is for you. I believe that with all of my heart. So don't let the sin of unbelief rob you from obtaining what God's promised you. Because whatsoever is not a faith. hmm That's a good way to start the calendar year off, isn't it? You're going to remember this when you leave here today. It's going to affect your devotions through the course of this week. You're going to get up in the morning, and you're going to start, and the the devotion book's going to have you over here, uh, maybe in the book of Malachi or over in the Gospels, but in the back of your mind's going to be that resounding thought, whatsoever is not a faith is sin. Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. Let faith arise. Let faith rise up in your heart. Let faith accomplish the things that God wants to accomplish in your heart and life. Let this be a year of the dynamic power and the grace of God working in you and working through you. Let God do and be all that he said he would. Come on, somebody. Rise up in the midst of confusion, in the midst of fear, in the midst of uncertainty. Let the people of God rise up. And if we're going to rise up, it's not in our own natural power. Joshua was aware of the ability of the people that were dwelling in the land. He had seen them with his own eyes. He knew they were greater in number than they were. They were walled cities. They were strongholds. But there's one thing that he believed in. He believed in the power of his God. And that if God said it, then God would do what God said he would do. And that's the faith that you and I need to possess. As I get ready to close today, let me tell you, there was a stimulus. Many of you, many of us, we remember when first, first President Trump and then President Biden started sending stimulus checks to people. Well, I'm telling you, Joshua and Caleb had a stimulus, a stimulus for their faith that caused them to see what they saw and arrive at a different conclusion. And I'm closing with this here today. And it goes back to that phrase, the land of milk and honey. Did y'all catch that? How many know you got to read the scriptures slowly? Go back with me very quickly in verse 27 of chapter number 13. This is the report of the 10 spies it floweth with milk and honey. That was cliche to those 10, that's all it was. But to Joshua and Caleb, it meant something. Because they repeated it. Notice this, verse 8. It's a land which floweth with milk and honey. Now, what is the difference? Why was it one that stumbled over it and the other it was a stimulus for their faith? Can I tell you that in closing today? Let me tell you what land of milk and honey was. It was a covenant promise. Oh, I felt Jesus right there in my spirit because that's the vernacular that we need to begin to have in our hearts and minds and in our mouths is that we need to be able to say, the reason why I'm pursuing this by faith is because it's a covenant promise. God made this promise through his son, Jesus. It's a covenant promise. It's a covenant. What do you mean? It's a covenant promise, Pastor Brown. The land had been promised to them to Abraham, their father. Let me, go, let, me, let me put this together and fold it all in together and then get ready to close and lead you into water baptism. But I'm telling you, I'm going to challenge you this year, maybe greater than any that I ever have. And why is that, Pastor Brown? Because I'm going to challenge myself. Because I'm tired of praying prayers where I don't get the answer that I know is tied to covenant promise. So the error is not with God. I read in the word, his ear has not grown deafened and his arm is not shortened. And so it's the sin of unbelief that's robbing us from the goodness of God. It's the sin of unbelief, and we're going to repent of that sin. That's how I'm going to begin the calendar year. I'm going to repent of that sin. I want to base my faith upon covenant promises. So the children of Israel, let's put this on the screen Genesis chapter number 12, verse number 7. This is when God first met Abram. And it says, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed, notice this, will I give this land? And there builded he an altar unto the, earth, excuse, altar unto the Lord who had appeared unto him. So I don't I can't go and preach all that for you today. That'll be for another day. But this is a covenant promise that was made hundreds of years earlier where God called a man by the name of Abram and he made a covenant promise unto him that he would have the land. We're going to read at least one more verse there in Genesis 15 and 18. In Genesis 15, 18, it says the Lord reappeared to Abraham, or Abram, and he said, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river Euphrates. And if you were to take the time to read the word of God, you would find that that covenant promise of the land from the river Euphrates, which is in Mesopotamia, all the way to Egypt, that little sliver of land that we know today as the land of Israel, God made that promise to Abraham. And then God passed that same promise to Isaac in Genesis chapter number 26. And then when Jacob left from Isaac's home to go to obtain a wife, he stopped at a particular place that you and I now call Bethel, and he pillowed his head on a stone. And through the night, the angels of God appeared to him in a dream, and God told Jacob, I'll bring you back to this land, and you're going to possess this land. It's your covenant promise. And so Jacob then, before he died, when they had sojourned into Egypt, He spoke the covenant promise to all 12 of his children, especially to Joseph. And then when Joseph was about to die, Joseph called all of his brothers and his family, and he said, I want to remind you, when you leave this land of Egypt, the land of our affliction, he said, I want you to take my bones with you and take it back to the land of covenant promise. Let me go a little bit farther. And so that helped sustain them in the days of that 400 years of bondage. And then, where do I find that phrase, the, uh, the, of, of milk and honey? In the book of Exodus, and I think, did I give you this one, Lord? Exodus chapter number three, verses 13 through 17. We're gonna read this as we get ready to close today. So I want you to put this all together for a moment of time as we start the calendar year. For just a moment, because we wanna repent of the sin of unbelief. And we wanna be who God's called us to be. And I'll tell you who God's called you to be. He's called you to be a man or a woman of faith. He's called you to be a person of faith. He's called you to walk by faith, live in faith, because whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And the covenant promise that I'm talking about had been made with Abraham 400 years earlier. And the children of Israel have been held in bondage. And when Numbers 13, we're a little bit farther along in the story. But remember what happened in Exodus chapter number 3. The deliverer of Israel, Moses, is an 80-year-old shepherd on the backside of the Midian desert. He's run from his call. He's run from the responsibility and he's not heard the voice of God in 40 years. But on that fateful day that a bush began to burn and I say dear God let the bush begin to burn one more time in our hearts and lives till we can hear the voice of God speaking to us to direct our path. and God spoke to Moses and here's what he said because this is what Moses told Israel that gave them the courage to rise up and to begin to break free from Pharaoh's bondage and Moses said behold when I come into the children of Israel and say unto them, the God of your fathers has sent me unto them, unto you. And he said, what is your name? What shall I say then? He asked. He said, I want to know what your name is. And God said, you tell him I am. Man, that's a terrible amen for just that text of scripture. Look at that. God said, you just tell him I am. You tell him that I am. And he said, thou shalt say unto the children, I am has sent me to you. I feel like Moses today. I am has sent me to tell you today. It's time for us to repent of the sin of unbelief. It's time for faith to rise in our hearts and be the people that God's called us to be and do what God's called us to do. And God said, moreover to Moses, you're going to say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, he's the one that sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Let's read it down, verses 16 and 17. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them the lord god of your fathers the god of abraham the god of isaac the god of jacob has appeared unto me and said i've surely visited you and i've seen that which is done unto you in egypt and verse 17 says and i will bring you up out of the afflictions of egypt into the land of the canaanites the hittites the amorites the perizzites the hivites the jebusites and whatever art you're facing and it's going to be a land that flows with milk and honey Now you say, Pastor Brown, why are you bringing that together as you close this sermon? Because it didn't mean anything to the ten spies. But to Joshua and Caleb, they believed that God was true to his word. And the land was a land of milk and honey. It was the covenant promise that was made to the people. It was rightfully theirs, but they had to pursue it, and they had to pursue it by faith. And they couldn't allow unbelief and others' perceptions and others, and others. Evaluation of whether or not they should pursue to determine whether or not they were going to obtain the blessing of God. If you know anything about this story, as I close this message today, it's a tragic story, isn't it? Is it? It's a tragic story. It really is, because the story concludes with God in His righteous. In his righteous indignation, he refuses to allow those people that allowed unbelief to cause them to stumble. He doesn't allow them to enter into the promised land. And so for the next 40 years, every day they got up wandering. Every day, hapless. Every day. I want you to, I want you to think. Daryl, join me on the platform if you would as we close today's message today. It's faith. Faith. The people, listen to this the people that saw the glory of God, the people that God said, I have chosen you, the people that saw his glory on Mount Sinai, the people that saw him part the waters of the Red Sea, the people that they tasted manna from heaven, the people that ate quail that God miraculously provided when they were without protein and meat in the wilderness the people that they would have died of the intense heat of the desert but God sent a cloud by day they would have died of the cold at night but God sent fire by night they would have died of thirst within a few days but Moses took his staff and he hit a rock and the rock split and water gushed out but listen to this the Bible says that rock followed them. Did y'all know that? Isn't that powerful? As they move from place to place, and they think, well, how are we going to drink? How We've we got to have water. They look up, and a rock, you're talking about a rolling stone, is following them and providing life-giving water. But they arrived at a critical moment in their lives. And the sin of unbelief robbed them of their divine inheritance. And that, we gotta, we got to challenge ourselves with that. So as I close here today, I ask the Lord. I started off last, in the new year last night here in the church. Praying, seeking God, working these things out in my spirit. And I said, God, when I come to this place right here, as I give an altar invitation... So, God, how, when I'm dealing with faith, I know Pentecostal people. Pentecostal people immediately associate faith with healing the sick or casting out devils or, or some type of miraculous moment. And, and I believe in those things. And I'm for and I want to see the power of God in all those areas. But as a pastor, I've learned that people need faith not just for those things that people need faith when they're going through transition points in their life. Like, can I give you a few examples here? What what if your loved one that you were married to for 40 years died and passed away? And, and, And the bed is cold in the morning when you get up. That's a major transition point in somebody's life. How many know they need faith to make it through that time? They need faith. What about if you... Go through a job change, something major, career change in your life. You need faith. You need to be able to faith, say, God, I'm searching for your will and direction. What about these young adults that are under the sound of my voice that are making career choices? They're going to college, and sometimes they're sitting in front of professors that are trying to deconstruct their faith. Come on now. Aren't you out there today? I mean, that's why I I really believe when I'm talking about growing and maturing and developing our faith so that we don't stumble in unbelief, it's not just so that our shadow can heal the sick. It's so that we can go through transit. How many know that that moment for Israel was a transition point? It was a transition point. You were here, but you can be here, but the sin of unbelief got in their heart and mind and robbed them, and 40 years of wandering was the end result. I'll tell you, it's that real. It's that real. But here's where, here's what is unique to the generation in which we live. Nothing has changed. God has not changed. But God, in His righteous judgment, I'll use that word, didn't allow those men and women that were alive, the adults, to enter in. Their children entered in. But we live in a dispensation of grace. A level of mercy and grace that it's hard, it would probably be hard for somebody in that era to perceive. Why am I saying that? You know what? It's not too late for you. You may have made some poor decisions in the past. Born out of unbelief. The sin of unbelief. How many of you know that you can go forward in 2022 and say, you know what? Whenever I arrive at a transition point, no longer am I going to make my decisions based upon the perceptions of others. But I'm going to make my decisions based upon a covenant promise in the Word of God. And I'm going to be stimulated by that. Are you all out there today? That's why I believe 2022 can hold more for us than what we're really thinking it will be. It's more than us just maybe getting a little promotion on the job. Maybe say, you know, Pastor, oh, if this goes well, I'll be able to, you know, maybe, uh, maybe I can pay some debt off. All that's good. I'm for every one of those things. Everything that adds to that in your mind. but More importantly, I would just hope that we can become people of faith to the degree that whenever we're in that moment of transition, we don't allow unbelief to get in our heart and mind and cause us to stumble and, and cause us to lose years of being the people God's called us to be. Our heads are bowed, our eyes closed for just a moment of time. Let me see what time. I probably preached a long time. I'm setting the bar high. Are y'all out there? It's 1146. We've got water baptism here in a few moments. It won't take long. But this is the moment right here. It's the moment. I just want us to have a prayer. I want us to. This is kind of a. Can we make the whole sanctuary our altar today? Can we make the the entire sanctuary our altar for just a moment? And would you allow me as your pastor to maybe lead us in a prayer of repentance? Prayer of repentance. What are we going to repent of, Pastor Ryan? We're going to repent of unbelief. We're going to repent of when we allowed things that we saw or heard to dictate the decisions that we made rather than the covenant promises of God. So as your head is bowed and your eyes closed, I think this is universal. I think this is for everybody, young or old alike, visitor or member. God, today I come amongst my church family to examine my own heart and life, not to put self-induced guilt and condemnation But honest, honest examination. That, Father, whenever that, God, that I have allowed unbelief to sit in my heart and dictate my direction of following you, I ask that you forgive me even now in Jesus' name. Who will pray that with me right now? It's a simple prayer. I believe it's universal, male or female, young or old, again, visitor or long-term member, to simply say, God, almost like the father that dealt with Jesus in Luke 17, or excuse me, Matthew 17, when he said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. God, I repent of this unbelief because whatsoever is not of faith, listen to me, is sin. Whatsoever that I do, whatever I'm involved in, the decisions that I make, The relationships that I engage, if it's not born of faith, it's sin. So, God, I want to repent of that sin and the sin of unbelief. And I want to ask you, God, in the name of Jesus, that you stretch and you stir my faith. You teach me how to grow in faith. And you teach me how, Father God, to use the faith that I do possess. If you're here today, you say, Pastor, before you close this prayer... Me and my family are at a very, we know we are at a transition point in our life. We're at a transition point. I know it's late. I'm going to be at water baptism. I'm not going to call you forward, but if you will raise your hand, I'll pray with you in this house today with someone else. I'll pray with you if that's you today. That says, Pastor Brown, today I'm at a transition point in my life, and I want to make sure that I'm, I, I, that I'm walking in faith. If that's you, slip your hand up. Let me just see. I see that hand right there today. I see, hands, I see a lot of hands going up. God bless you today. Let's pray. Let's pray as a church family, and then we're going to move on to water baptism. Father, today, uh, God, well over 10, perhaps as many as 20 hands lifted up in this sanctuary today to indicate to me as their pastor and also, Father God, to say, almost as saying, God, I want you to see me quickly as well because there's nothing hidden to you that the, the individual that raised their hand said, "God, I'm at a transition point in my life, like Israel, and I know that right now, in the days and the weeks ahead, there's going to be decision that I make or direction that I go. That God, that has the potential, has the potential to set the course for a great portion of my life, and I want to make sure I'm walking in faith. That I'm walking in faith. I pray that today, God, with all the faith." That's in me here today over every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl that raised their hand. That said, I need the faith of God. Father, I pray for the spirit of faith. The spirit of faith to be in their heart and in their life. Let them walk in faith. Live by faith. React in faith. Make decisions in faith for your glory and for their good. It's my prayer joined to theirs. It's simple. I didn't pour oil on their head. I didn't lay hands on them. But I joined my faith with other leaders in this room as I prayed for all those that quietly, at, Father, slipped their hand up. I just pray, God, let your blessing be upon them in the name of Jesus. Let them walk in faith and let them not fall. Pray to the deceitfulness of the sin of unbelief in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen and amen now church family i want you to go on this journey with me a journey of faith i want to ask you that i mean that i mean that today i want you to go on this journey with me now we're going to have water baptism we're going to give you time if you need to go to the restroom if you've got children in the children's church you can get your children And come back in here and water baptism. So I gave you instructions. i would say if you're going to be water baptized or your child's going to be water baptized, you can go and change and change in the bathroom. But especially use the restrooms. I would encourage you to use the restrooms in the Family Life Center. Change there. There will be a pastor or staff member or somebody appointed that will meet you there. And we'll come back in here to right there in about 5 to 10 minutes. And I'm going to encourage as many of you as can stay around for the next few minutes and be witness of these people that are going to be water baptized today. Amen? Thank you so much for being in service, and all the baptism folks, let's go get changed.